All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies and pop culture. I'm going to emphasize pop culture in this one uh, from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And I'm excited for today because, Robert, we have a special guest, and we're going to talk about the character Wolverine and the work that our uh, our guest does related to comic books. How are you doing, Robert? You talking to me, bro? Yeah. Um, this is our first episode with just a character kind of playing it off the new Logan movie that is receiving – Good, positive, early reviews. Maybe it's going to get a good Wolverine movie, so we're excited about that. But yeah, we'll be talking about the Wolverine just as a general character in all the myriad um, interpretations he's seen over the years. Should be interesting. Yeah, so let's uh, welcome our guest. His name's Jamie, and he writes the Voluntarist comic book. And uh, Jamie, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, and thank you for, so much for coming on. Um, you came to uh, up on my radar through some Liberty.me stuff, and then I also saw you have an Indiegogo campaign uh, talking about your origins for the voluntaries. Do you want to just give our audience a quick rundown on who you are and, and what you got going on? Oh, absolutely. So I'm Jamie. I'm the producer-creator of Voluntarius, the comic series, which is pretty much the number one libertarian-oriented comic book in print. Um, I've been publishing this and working on it since about 2012 and have produced several iterations of the comic, uh, helping uh, to kind of promote the message of liberty, but without really being preached about it, more about creating a story and characters and uh, bringing liberty as the norm to a comic universe. And so I've had a lot of help along the way with people supporting the campaigns that I've run through Indiegogo. Um, you know, it started small, and over the years just kind of grew it and kept on pushing and uh, as liberty kind of grew, as people got more dissatisfied with government, I think I've also seen some success with the comic uh, because a lot of people are just tired of seeing the same old um, government-supporting narratives in mainstream comic books. So that's what I've been doing with uh, liberty and pop culture over these past few years. Uh, that sounds like good stuff. And um, we'll, of course, put all the links down below in our show notes page, but uh, do you got a couple of quick uh, websites you can throw out so people can start checking out what you're doing? Absolutely. Our main website is volcomic.com. That's V-O-L-C-O-M-I-C.com. And that's where we kind of have hosted all of our character backgrounds, some free comic downloads, and news and updates with the comic series. And then we also have our Facebook, facebook.com slash volcomics. That's with the S at the end instead of just volcomic. And we have our YouTube, youtube.com slash The Voluntarist. So um, there's lots of ways to connect with the uh, campaign, uh, with our comics, you know, and everything else that we're doing with The Voluntarist Comic Universe. 
All right, good stuff. So are you ready to get down and talk about uh, Wolverine? We want, kind of want to ride on the coattails of that Logan movie coming out a little bit. And then, of course, we can uh, go through some, some of your background a bit more if you'd like as well. But, uh, uh, Robert, why don't you kick this off because you're kind of the resident nerd between the two of us regarding the comic books, and then uh, we'll kick this thing off. Well, the first thing that I wanted to talk about, um, this isn't a Wolverine question or a Wolverine point, but I wanted to talk to Jamie a little bit. I mean, I'm going to self-serve myself a little bit. As a fellow kind of creator who's telling a story with libertarian themes but not necessarily super overtly preachy characters, how do you find – I mean, what – do you have – like, what are the – the villains in your stories and what are the, the heroes and what do they have like certain powers? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So the, your world. The, right. So the, the voluntarist world is supposed to be relatively contemporary um, to our current time. And the idea that it kind of centers around is that the government um, is reaching a tipping point uh, with the, with the population where the general public has just kind of awakened to the fact that government is really not there for the best interests of the individual, that government's pretty much corrupt, self-serving, um, and, you know, really is just not helping anybody in the long term. It's just really serving those who are in control. And because of this, the government really wants to clamp down and finally solidify control because they're worried that too many people are becoming more libertarian-oriented. And so the government is trying to manufacture a kind of crisis um, to get people back into supporting government and saying that, oh, you need the government to survive. Uh, but along this path, there is a cosmic event that changes um, people and some creatures across the globe uh, in, in a new way, uh, in a way that causes people and, and some other creatures to evolve. And this uh, cosmic radiation event um, is actually just enhancing something that would already happen. Um, and that is that when people live in a voluntarist state of existence, there is a type of novel evolution that occurs um, where people gain a type of healing factor, um, they become stronger, and so on and so forth. They, they become more, you could say, perfected. And so the government realizes this and especially more than ever wants to stop this evolution from happening. And so statism is seen as kind of this mental sickness um, that the government wants to continue to instill because they realize that people understood that voluntarism um, wasn't just a means to having peace, you know, in transactions and the market and things like that. They realized it was actually something that would literally help them become healthier and more whole. Um, you know, they would want to sh- get rid of and shove off government. Um, and, of course, those in control definitely don't want that. And so there's this huge tension um, that has risen because as the government's trying to clamp down on everybody, now there's this new opportunity for people to be able to meaningfully resist the government uh, because of these powers that have arisen. And so, um, you know, the government's trying to get control of those who have been changed um, as well as, you know, use some of the things they've learned to create more, um, you know, super soldiers and other types of creatures that could maybe uh, enhance their plan for getting a type of total enslavement through scare tactics. And so that's kind of what the universe revolves around. And then the specific character um, that the universe revolves around is Jack Lloyd, who graduated from uh, college and goes back home to help out with his parents because his dad's getting a surgery. 
and so they, you know, just want to have him help out around the house until his dad can recover. And during that time, Jack is one of those people who gets affected by this cosmic event. And so, you know, what happens with Jack um, is kind of what drives the narrative. And his parents are also seen as having a type of anti-government bent because they're organic farmers, and the government keeps trying to take their land under, you know, bad pretenses, and they eventually want to try to use eminent domain. So there's this kind of background to it that the parents are seen as these people who are kind of healthy, independent people who don't want the government to interfere, and the government's kind of seen as this entity that wants to hurt small businesses, that wants to, you know, crush, um, you know, local uh, competition and independent people. Um, and so it, it kind of has this backdrop that through and through the whole story revolves around the government is this uh, not just corrupt entity, but a, fundamental, a fundamentally uh, evil entity um, that's self-serving and wants to destroy um, anyone who can declare their individual independence. Now, you, that sounds all super cool. Um, you, you obviously have to have individual characters acting for government, but you don't necessarily say, hey, this, these are just a couple of bad apples who have like this lust for power and that's why it's bad. Because that's the, the, the mainstream media like narrative that we always get is that government's an inherently good idea, but it's just corrupted by a few bad people every once in a while. So that's exactly. That's, do exactly. You, um, how does how does the government? I mean, you said that they like um, they've developing like super soldiers and that sort of thing. Do they actually stage like false flag terrorist attacks that sort of thing, or do they come in with police actions? How do your how do your heroes um, battle these these forces? That's exactly the idea. Is that the government realizes that if it doesn't go with extreme measures, they're not going to be able to rest control back because there's just too many who have woken up and because of the internet and social media people are really seeing the nature of government exposed and the lies of politicians um, just more apparently than ever. So the government is uh, using false flag means and trying to say that there's some type of uh, potential alien or maybe foreign nation invasion or something, something unknown to uh, scare people into thinking, oh, you know, we need to clamp down and start doing um, more enhanced security and doing biometric ID and, you know, RFID chips to, you know, allow people to travel because we don't know what, you know, those kinds of uh, creatures are that could be attacking. So the government is, is using, you know, all-out tactics um, in order to get people to think that, oh, you know, they have to kowtow to the government to have safety and security. Mm, mm. Sounds like you can get just a lot of really good story ideas just from reading the, the daily news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, do you cool. have any do you have any characters that are sort of based on avatars of, you know, like a Paul Krugman who, you know, you mentioned the alien invasion. He's of course talked about that a few times in his uh, ridiculous columns. Hmm. Um there isn't like a particular, you know, special economist person who is like Krugman or something. I did once do a joke mock up um where um I had a uh, Cybernanky which was Ben Bernanke, but he was like half cyborg battling voluntarists. That's kind of just a joke teaser <laughs> thing. But there, there is, there is definitely character types within the series um, to be developed and have been prototyped for that kind of thing. Um, people who are basically the evangelists for government from the economic side, you know, preaching false uh, economics to tell, you know, to tell people that they need government to uh, break windows for them. But yeah, there, there, there's that kind of theme in there as well. Very cool. Um, 
and I understand you also have a uh, a Snowden comic book. Is that what's the um, is that a is that follow his actual life or is that just like a basis for like further adventures? So what happened is with with my comics that I have out so far, they were future prototypes and kind of future verse series, and um, the idea there was to give a sense of where it would lead to. And so saving Snowden, um, that comic issue was, uh, you know, kind of like a Futureverse thing where the voluntarists go to save Snowden from Russia. Um, and so it, it's kind of like a uh, uh, an alternative universe, you could say, where um, Snowden needs to be rescued, uh, you know, out of Russia and, and be brought to Ecuador to, uh, you know, be kept safe from Putin's plan. So it's kind of like a fun way to integrate real-world things, and I introduce concepts in there um, that are real world as far as the names of spying programs and things the government's done. Um, but it's done to be a part of the storyline in a fictional way, but also introduce real things that people kind of wonder where the lines between uh, fiction and reality meet. Cool. And are you guys, are your characters, like they're they're flying to Russia, they're flying to Ecuador, are they um, are they like the X-Men? I mean, do they have like a Quinjet? Do they fly around? Do they Are they like a super team located somewhere nearby where they can go off and have adventures, that sort of thing? They do have something that is, is somewhat similar to that. It's not quite X-Men in terms of like an academy or anything like that, but rather some of the main uh, characters team up to work with each other to help each other against the government's plans. And um, along that line, they, they do have a uh, type of craft that they fly in not that, you know, there aren't several characters that could just fly themselves, um, but as a way to just go of one accord, um, depending on the situation. So the Valroy is that ship that they fly in, um, in that issue. Very cool. Okay. And how long have you been doing this? Um, I've been working on the comic series since 2012 uh, while I was, I mean, the actual story was being written while I was studying for the bar exam um, back in summer of 2012. Okay, so you are a practicing lawyer these days, or do you do this full-time? Um, I, I am a lawyer, but I'm not currently full-time practicing. I'm currently teaching, but I'm probably going to be getting back into practicing more um, later this year. Okay, very cool. And I assume that you um, are familiar with the private law, and we don't need this central oligarchical law that we have these days. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, distinguishing historical common law means and, you know, ways that people use arbitration to, um, you know, develop dispute resolution independent of government, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, positive law or, uh, you know, statutory law, things that we have currently, you know, didn't come first. There was people who, uh, you know, had worked together to create their own forms of dispute resolution and, the governments of today adopted a lot of that and integrated some of it. So. Right, right. Very cool. Well, awesome. Um, let's get into a little bit of this Wolverine character. Um, myself, I grew up uh, a fan of the X-Men. Um, uh, I think I was around like the mid-80s, early 90s with like Chris Claremont and then Jim Lee and all those guys. Um Wolverine was probably my favorite character, maybe that in Spider-Man, but um, I don't know, he was always just like a really badass kind of tough guy, and he had a, a he had an anti-authority streak, which really appealed to me. 
although he does he does go along and you know he's part of this team and he takes like orders i guess you could say but from time to time he's he's like led and he's taught at the school and he's been an avenger and he was in world war ii and world war one and he's been a samurai <laughs> he's been all kinds of things over the years um one thing that stuck out to me and i guess in wolverine's past has always been the case is he's had these kind of implanted memories or he's been brainwashed or it seems like he's got this you know he's like basically this unstoppable character i mean he can die he is currently dead um but he's essentially if you don't without killing him you can't really hurt him so much i mean you could like shoot him full of bullets but then he'll just heal so the writers have led towards um mind control storylines where he's used as a tool by um nefarious peoples to kill and then have the superheroes doubt him and think he's like this out of control and then he needs to be put down and then it's a fairly interesting, maybe a little bit, um, storylines. Um, Daniel, are you there? You read this. Do you have any ideas? Well, during the pre-show, I was mentioning that Wolverine was one of my favorite characters growing up as well, but I don't think I understood all the nuance behind him. It was sort of like when I liked um, music at the time. Uh, I knew maybe the lyrics to half of the songs that I liked. Uh, <laughs> so I wouldn't say I'm, I'm any, uh, any level of expert with Wolverine, but... Um, I did like him. I did like his badass attitude and his anti-authoritarian streak like you were talking about. Uh, and I understand in reading the wiki a little bit recently that uh, he was created like in a government experiment, right, to make a bit of a super soldier. So that sort of relates to what, Jamie, you were talking about with, with the origin of your character. Uh, maybe not, you know, exactly, but or some of the origins of your story. Um, is that – that's Canadian government, right? Is that – for uh, for Wolverine, yeah, that's or Department H it might be Department H. That's right, and then it's Weapon part X. of the Weapon Weapon X program. Yeah, exactly, where he had his um, his uh, skeleton fused with adamantium, but he's always been a mutant. I mean, he was born like in the eighteen eighteen nineties or eighteen eighties or something like that, um, and fought in like the First World War, Second World War, and then it was only later on that he got the adamantium bonded to him. But one thing that's kind of interesting, I suppose, is um, Charles Xavier. He's supposedly like this good guy. He's like the leader of the X-Men. He's this professor. He's this wise, all-knowing, not all-knowing, but super powerful telepath. Yet um, when Wolverine first joins the X-Men, he's first he's sent in by Department H to assassinate Xavier. And Xavier just wipes Logan's memories and then forces him to join the X-Men. So, not exactly a moral stance. I mean, yeah, he's sure. definitely not the voluntarist. <laughs> definitely not the voluntarist. I mean, if you're if you're having, you know, he's got like these kids that fight for him. Later, later on, it's also kind of funny that um, there's a storyline later on in Wolverine's life where he doesn't use children to fight his battles, but Professor Xavier has no problem using children to fight his battles. All the X-Men, especially in the beginning, were like teenagers. Um, but, of course, X-Men, you know, Wolverine's like this old man. But <laughs> So, anyway, um, he's been brainwashed by Apocalypse, 
who turned him into the Horseman Death. He was brainwashed by ninjas called the Hand, who fight Daredevil a lot of the time, in the Enemy of the State storyline. Um, he's been like, yeah, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., where he goes around killing people, but it's always through mind control. Um, he's, uh, it's, it's, it, he goes into this berserker rage, and then he'll just like slaughter people. There's, um, later on, before he dies, he becomes this, um, kind of like gives up on life, and he goes back to nature, and he lives with this wolf, pack of wolves. And he's living with these pack of wolves, and I guess, you know, he developed friendships and whatnots with them. But then some hunter, human hunters come along, and they kill the wolves. And Wolverine, he just has no problem just murdering these hunters. So my question to Daniel, or Jamie, is do you have an issue with Wolverine murdering these hunters, just from based on just what I told you? I'll let Jamie take a stab at that one. Ha ha ha. Sure. Okay, so I mean I mean there's a lot of questions here. Like, for example, I don't know the story, so I don't know all the nuances of who was where and when, if anybody owned the animals or if they were just wild, where the you know, who on whose property it was that this took place. Um but generally speaking I would say that um killing somebody over an animal would be unethical or anti voluntarist. Um because, again, it's not initiating uh, force against someone who, against that is another person. So, you know, obviously that would be wrong from the uh, voluntarist perspective. But, I mean, it depends on whether there was a self-defense issue or something like that. Were they attacking him while he was with them? I don't know. So I, I'm not sure exactly of, of the context. Yeah, and, and being a comic book story, you know, it sort of blurs the line between uh, animals and Wolverine because he's living with them, right? So he's probably treating them as if they're kin in a way. So it'd be, I guess, sort of like your family being attacked. Um, like a little bit more than, than if the family dog gets shot by, you know, the police because your kids are having a, a party in the backyard and then it's against the law or whatever reason. But uh, do, you, do you see that, do you, either of you guys see that as a, a, a step above like the family pet but not quite uh, part of a family member? I, I, I mean, I, from Wolverine's standpoint, he saw, I'm guessing that he saw a very much kinship with the wolves. And I, I would struggle with that myself because I'm very much an animal lover. And not that I would take it to the point where I'd go and hunt down these poachers and then murder them. But say if, you know, some cop shot my dog, man, I would, I'd, <laughs> I would, I, I don't know if I'd be justified in necessarily killing that cop or anybody who kills my dog. Um, but, man, would I entertain that fantasy? Uh, what do you think, Dan? Do you think if someone – let's take aside the cop angle and just say anybody came in and killed, you know, uh, one of your pets, like, a, say, a loyal dog, uh, how do you – what do you think the proper response would be? Yeah, well, in the you know current status world, I, I think that you'd have to measure what would be the uh, response in turn, you know. So I don't think that having that desire <laughs> to uh, go a bit overboard would would really pan out for you. Uh, I think there is a measure of um, scale, right? Like in a 
in a um, voluntary society, you know, people will still have disputes, and uh, I think it would be out of scale for somebody to say shoot someone for accidentally coming on their property. Um, but you know, a certain level of response would certainly be warranted. Uh, but almost any any event could uh, would need to have a certain you know commensurate scale that's sort of acceptable uh, in a uh, in a market sort of me uh, methodology. And maybe Jamie, you you can tell us a little bit more on that because I mean you've, you're a lawyer, you studied this stuff, so. Um, do you have some opinions on, on that? I think Rothbard said that they would have to be sort of um, an equivalent level of, of force or uh, reparation. Well, I mean, everything boils down to property rights. So, you know, that's just the first question. And there's a couple of issues here. First, the words that are used to describe the situation, they use the word poacher. Poacher, you know, is defined as a legal capturing of a wild animal. So I'm first trying to understand or wrap my mind around what it is that was illegal in this situation. Why was it, you know, illegal? Is it because they're on private property? Was it because Wolverine owned them or claimed ownership over the animals? I don't know. So without knowing that first part, it's hard to analyze the rest of it. Um, because voluntarism of the principles apply uh, just to humans. Um, so, you know, we're talking about why it is they use that specific terminology of poacher. It makes me wonder what the context was. Right. Yeah, I heard recently that there was, um, I don't know if it's in Africa or, or somewhere else, but um, people are shooting poachers uh, in order to, you know, protect the elephants or whatever. And that sounds like a, a similar situation to this in a way. It could possibly be. It could. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, if someone is coming on your private property and you've, you know, uh, kind of uh, set off land and set off things for animals that you captured, um, you know, it, it would be no different than anybody else who would come onto your property armed and, you know, looking to do violence. I don't think anyone would treat it any differently, um, you know, if you had established property rights for anything else and someone came in with a gun pointed, you know, whether it was your home or your backyard. Um, you know, you'd expect a defensive force that would be using at least similar level of force as the, the person who's coming with a gun to shoot um, and violate somebody else's property, uh, you know, and do so in a way that could lead to deadly outcomes if you're using a gun. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jamie. So recently there was uh, these uh, protests in Portland, Oregon, and there's probably a protest there every weekend. But there was a journalist who, you know, private journalist, whatever, he's not like part of any media, like mainstream media, but he was videoing uh, these protesters and they, they noticed him and started menacing him, crowding him and, and threatening him, saying, get him, get him, get him. And he was backing away, trying to retreat. They outflanked him, surrounded him, and he brandished a, a firearm. He had a concealed carry. And he was recently convicted on you know five felony counts um, related to drawing his weapon to you know in my mind defend himself get out of that situation um, are you familiar with this scenario or this situation yeah I've seen the video. to it okay yeah, yeah so yeah give us a breakdown on that because I'd be curious to hear what you had to say I I found there was no problem with what he did you know watching the video you see a bunch of people and many of them have 
objects in their hand, whether it was like poles or other things, and they were surrounding to attack him. Um, so the fact that he used his gun as a deterrent, um, I thought there was nothing wrong with that. He didn't actually escalate any type of physical violence. It would have been an escalation if he took out the gun and like start shooting them. Um, but instead, he used it as a means for them to back away, and unsurprisingly, um, it worked. It clearly, um, you know, made that group of people back away. And as far as I saw, there was nothing there that was inherently unethical, considering the uh, circumstances. Now, I'm not familiar with, like, Oregon's laws as far as, you know, what they um, require for self-defense claims, um, but... As far as voluntarist ethics go, there's nothing wrong with using a display of, of force to de-escalate a situation and get people who are coming to attack you to back down. Yeah, I mean, my argument would be that since he was outnumbered, there's this mob encroaching on him. I mean, they are brandishing lethal force on their own in their own right. They could be. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. You know, to what extent they were going to be. You know, using lethal force, but there was a huge amount of people around him and they all had things in their hand that they, and if we were watching the video, they had, they were holding it in positions that looked like they were getting ready to swing. So, you know, I think what he did was there was nothing unreasonable about that as far as de-escalating violence. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, it's surprising to me that there isn't that mentality that, you know, as these people were uh, coming after him, that the end result was a lack of violence. Um, so to me, it's, it's kind of strange, but again, I don't know the nuances of Oregon's self-defense laws and this and that. So, well, they probably have some kind of ridiculous, like brandishing law or something like that. I remember, um, there was a case not too long ago down in Hollywood where somebody pulled a gun defensively and he got convicted just for like unholstering his weapon or just, just having it out. It was called like a brandishing law. And I thought it was absolutely ridiculous. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something like that on the books there. I mean, this is the nature of government to just create ridiculous laws that they apply unilaterally. You know, to, they create some law to prevent this one very specific type of situation, or at least they think they will, or at least to punish one specific type of situation. And then it gets applied liberally to horrific extent. Yeah, I mean, you've got the case of uh, the Antifa riots down in Berkeley, the person who instigated that, you know, she goes on to uh, these television interviews, and, and they show video of her assaulting people uh, right in front of police officers, and she's instigating violence, uh, inciting riots, uh, obviously, you know, threatening the lives of the people that she's attacking, and yet she's like a middle school teacher or something, and, and not arrested, no, no issues uh, seeming, I mean, she's getting all this attention and notoriety to sort of push this Bush doctrine uh, bullshit about <laughs> preemptively punching Nazis. It's uh, pretty ridiculous, you know, the double standard that, that we see with the left versus the right here. Mm-hmm. Must have. All right, so if, Wol- if Wolverine were in that situation, he would have uh, probably come to the aid of this, this person and um, probably gone a little overboard, right? with his adamantium claws. <laughs> well, all he would have had to do is pop them, and everybody would have been, like, backing down. Right. He does all the time. But under Oregon's laws, he probably would have been... I mean, are, are what about the... Were there any laws, or were there any charges filed against the uh, the protesters that were threatening this man, Daniel? Do you know? 
Not that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, I, th I think that they 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 charge this guy with um, you know some brandishing thing, like one count of whatever. And then once it was discovered who he was, and apparently he does you know that media, but from a conservative standpoint, then they piled on the additional charges afterward. Sweet. Hmm. So Jamie, does does your character in the Voluntarist does he have to deal with um, legal matters, legal situations? Is he seen as a vigilante, or or, or law enforcement after him? Are there questions of morality or or the uh, uh, taking justice into his own hands, things of that nature? Yeah, there's things of taking justice into your own hands and questions about you know how far is too far, especially because there's characters obviously who have powers that are really powerful, of course, and and so the question of what is the appropriate response and how far is too far, what you know, is, is really meant to kind of uh, do a corollary with people who use self-defense and how far they could take that self-defense. You know, in comic book, there's superpowers, but in real life, we have our questions whether, you know, it's safe or good to use mace or pepper spray or tasers or, you know, to brandish a gun or this or that in self-defense. So it, it fleshes out some of those concepts, too, in terms of, you know, what's an appropriate response, what's unethical to escalate, and things like that with the characters. Okay, yeah, and, and re re regarding the Portland situation, um, I've seen some people argue that in brandishing the weapon, <clears throat> he should only have, have unholstered it with the intention of shooting it, with, with firing the weapon. And I think that that's kind of a ridiculous standard. Um, you, you certainly don't point it at anything you're not willing to destroy. But um, you know, if, if we were to hold this individual to the standard of, well, if he unholstered it, then he should fire it, then he would have done you know, potentially more harm. Like it would not have de-escalated the situation like you were saying. And uh, right. if, if that's the standard, then would we not hold police to the same standard? And they brandish their weapons all the time. You know, and does does having a, a uniform or costume uh, give them special rights that um, you know normal people don't have? And, and if normal people don't have them, then how do they bequeath them to law enforcement? You know, these are all sticky uh, sticky questions that I don't think that that uh, these people's argument holds holds any uh, scrutiny against. And. I mean, the I believe, I think it's the 38 Special that's known as the Equalizer. I could be wrong about that, but it's definitely a gun that was known as the Equalizer because women, it was small enough for women to carry in their purse. I mean, can you imagine, like, some mugger or some rapist grabbing a woman, and then she pulls a gun, and then she gets, she gets uh, accused of brandishing a weapon? What? You're absolutely right. You pull out a gun to de-escalate the situation if you're threatened um yeah i and then holding the cost to the double standard is absolutely true and you know my my feelings on that i've gone into long rants about that um but yeah there's um i guess in canada it's illegal to have uh, a self a firearm for self-defense i think you can also it's also illegal to have um mace as self-defense which is ridiculous um i guess you can have a rape whistle and in special cases, you can have bear spray because they do have, like, bears up there. But don't but use it on a rapist. <laughs> apparently you can't use it on a rapist or someone attacking you. So I don't know what, unless what it's kind that of problem. Bear, unless it's that raper bear from The Revenant, right? It could be. It could be the raper bear. So in that very one specific, maybe. Yeah. 
that one very specific situation. I don't know what's going on in Canada, but it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it, it is legal to defend yourself, you know, with uh, lethal force in Canada. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that there, once you you're charged, um, after most likely, you know, it's a it's a very difficult situation to be in. So it's not like completely illegal. It's just that you know the circumstances of having to go through and prove your innocence is is difficult. Mm. Yeah, it seems to be the uh, state of the world these days that you have to prove your innocence versus uh, they have to prove your guilt in all of these situations. Right. Sort of uh, against the whole common law tradition, right? Um, I don't know. Because <laughs> they're, they're different things. You know, criminal law, you know, and uh, very often when you think about common law, usually you're thinking typically about... Uh, business transactions and arbitration. I mean, sure, there are things that have happened, you know, common law-wise with criminal justice, but uh, there's a lot more with commerce. Yeah, I mean, my, my imagination would say that everything would be a common law situation in the absence of the state, right? Because everything is, like you were saying earlier, it's a property rights issue. Like, you have self-ownership of your own person, and so defending yourself against attack um, you know, wouldn't necessarily be a criminal justice. There wouldn't be this um, overarching state that is the arbiter of this situation. It would be you know, perhaps a dispute resolution organization competing with others, and they would you know, appeal to um, a, a third in case there's a disagreement amongst the, the, the two parties involved. That kind of scenario, I think Steph sort of points that out in, in some of his work. Um, Steph Molyneux, in case you're not familiar, but I'm sure you are. Well, hey, let's wind this back to uh, Wolverine a little bit, because um, we do want to ride the coattails of that Logan movie that, Robert, I think you were saying was, was getting some really good reviews, and I think you had told me previously that the uh, storyline was played out in the comic book world a couple of years back. So can we talk um, to that a little bit, and then we can start to close the show down? Sure. So the movie is borrowing from several themes, and obviously we haven't seen it yet, but um, it stars the Marauders, I believe, or the, Mar- the Reavers, no, the Marauders. Ah, can't remember. Anyway, they're a group of um, cybernetically enhanced Australians, or at least they were back in the day in the comic books where the, the, the X-Men went down and fought them. Um, and then they're also borrowing from the X-23 storyline, which is, I believe, like a, a Wolverine clone girl. Um, mm-hmm. And she is now the current Wolverine, now with Wolverine dead. And then it also borrows from the Old Man Logan story um, by Mark Millar. I pronounce it Millar, Miller, either way. Um, but the Mark the Old Man Logan story is I mean it's a comic book story so it's got it's got like I think it's like Hawkeye but he's blind and he's driving the spider mobile and Logan and they're driving it across country and it's a world where the most of the most of the superheroes are dead and um like there's like a group of a family of mutated hulks and a couple of villains that they run into and fight um but yeah, it's a it's a fun storyline, but obviously they couldn't do that for this movie. 
because um, uh, Fox doesn't own the rights to all those characters. Mm. So what they ended up doing, it looks like, is kind of telling this feature story where Professor Xavier is looks like he's significantly reduced in strength, and Wolverine's healing factor is significantly reduced. And Wolverine's healing factor has gone through myriad interpretations where he could either he would either be like down for like a month after getting cut through the gut with a samurai sword or he could completely regenerate his entire body from a single cell like just a skeleton through a nuclear mm-hmm. explosion to like in a matter of minutes and then all of a sudden he's like perfectly back so in this movie it looks like it's significantly reduced he's got all kinds of scarring on him um, but, and, uh, yeah, the, the reviews are good. It's actually an R-rated movie. Um, it doesn't shy away from, like, chopping people's heads off and chopping limbs <laughs> off and stabbing people, which, uh, having recently rewatched The Wolverine, uh, in almost every X-Men movie, it's just, you know, they're all PG-13 affairs, so Wolverine will slash a guy with his claws, and <laughs> nothing happens. I mean, the guy just kind of, like, falls away or something like that. I mean, it's, you would think if you're getting sliced, you know, you could just chop a limb off or blood would be squirting out all over the place. I mean, that's what it is in the comic books. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, should be a good movie. Hopefully, looking forward to it. Daniel? Yeah, I saw several of the trailers, and I think you're right that the Marauders, they are the cybernetic type people in there because... Uh, one of the scenes, he's showing off his metal hand. He's like, you're not the only one who's been enhanced. Yeah, um, I forget the exact origin of... I think I think they're the Reavers. I could be getting... That word sticks in my head. But um, I forget who made them, but they were, yeah, a group of enhanced. I think it maybe had been Pierce, Franklin Pierce, or somebody like that, that uh, wanted to kill the X-Men for whatever reason, and uh, they're finally showing up here in the movies about time, I suppose. An actual so, kind of more realistic, grounded human story as opposed to a big, bombastic uh, superhero story. So is this um, storyline sort of one of the early turns towards the SJW side of the aisle for uh, Marvel? Where, you know, the X-23 storyline where the, the new Wolverine is a girl and so many of their other characters have, you know, transmorgified into being female characters instead of male characters because patriarchy? Um, could be. Um, I haven't read any of the X-23 stuff, so I don't really know. I mean, X-23 is, predates the SJW trend. I mean, now we've got female Iron Man and female Thor and female a bunch of other stuff. Um, but the X-23, I guess, is actually quite old now. I don't know exactly how old, but many, many years. <clears throat> so I don't think she's necessarily a part of it, but she's definitely, um, you know, she's just a throw another log on the fire. Although it seems like Marvel might be dialing it back a bit. So that's good news. So Jamie, any, any chance of uh, Jack turning uh, into a female character? Uh, nope. There's, uh, there's plenty of female characters. Uh, there's really quite a diversity of characters already, but my stories are not meant to focus on, like, you know, where someone wants to put their penis. Um, they're focused <laughs> on the principles of liberty. Yeah. 
Um, so, that, you know, to me, that's the core. Uh, the core here is about what it means to be truly free. Um, and a lot of uh, producers out there, they just try to spice up their series by saying, okay, someone's, you know, now gay or now Muslim or something. And I just saw that as another giant waste of time um, when, you know, what people really want is they want to hear meaningful content. And I think stories like even Rick and Morty um, are finding more fanfare because they have a greater intellectual depth um, and a lot you know, a lot more philosophy embedded into the story. It's done in a fun way, but, you know, I think people are just tired of the same old predictable movie, you know, tropes and comic tropes and, you know, just changing the sexuality of a character or the religion or lack thereof of a character doesn't necessarily change the story. It doesn't suddenly make it more deep. You know, you can be, you know, gay, straight, you know, identify as an attack helicopter, whatever. If you think the state, you know, is the ultimate, uh, form of ethics and morality, you're, you know, you're still all the same. <laughs> like, there's no, you know, there's no real diversity there. Um, you know, you can have all kinds of skin colors and this and that, but if everyone thinks, oh, yeah, government is, you know, God and needs to be worshipped, and if you don't, you know, if you don't think that, then, you know, you deserve to death or worse. I mean, you know, there's no real intellectual depth there. There's no philosophy. There's no discourse in the nature of ethics and how to treat people. Indeed. Um, do any of your characters ever have to deal with, um, you know, uh, with, uh, I think, Man of Steel, where Superman and Zod battle through Metropolis and end up leveling, like, the entire city? Um, <laughs> do your characters ever have to deal with any kind of blowback from the, the property damage that get destroyed in their, their battles? Or do they try and, like, hey, let's maybe move this fight out of the city, that kind of thing? Or, I mean, they're, no, they're defensive. Yeah, that's exactly force, right? what... Yeah, no, that's exactly a part of what makes the voluntarist characters unique. They don't just simply look at protecting lives. They also look at protecting property. Um, unlike your major superheroes with various comics who will be like, oh, look, a car's nearby. Let me just use this to smash the enemy. Uh, the voluntarists won't. They'll actually go out of their way to um, try to stop things from destroying buildings, uh, stop enemies from, you know, causing property damage. Um, they won't, you know, grab a light pole and knock it down just to, you know, knock somebody around. Um, they actually consciously try to uh, both stop private property damage and uh, damage to people. Um, and they will, you know, do their best to draw anything away from any populated areas, you know, try to fight over water in a rural area just to avoid um, causing any more harm. Um, so that's actually a, a big part of the voluntarist universe is, is that distinction that they won't just, you know, go and destroy things. I think there's actually a TV show coming out um, or just came out that revolves around a team that cleans up after superheroes. Um, the destruction, I forgot what it's called, but, um, you I know. believe that's Damage Incorporated, or at least that was the original, um. Yeah. There was a, there's it's, a DC version and a Marvel version, yeah, but they're just normal people that are basically the construction crews that are tasked with rebuilding the cities after the superheroes level them all the time. How Krugman-esque. <laughs> yeah, breaking windows, man. Stimulating the economy. Yeah, no, that's great, Jamie, that, that you've got the situational awareness as a huge component of um, your characters, you know, that they go out of their way to make sure that they're not causing recklessness and, and damage to innocents and bystanders. That's pretty awesome. I think that the, the guy in Portland should have maybe exhibited a little bit more situational awareness and avoided getting himself into that situation to begin with. Um, I think that's a big key when they, you know, when you do a firearms training is like, Hey, make sure you don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to need to potentially use it. Right. 
Very cool. All right, well, hey, uh, this has been a really good show, um, so I appreciate you coming on, Jamie. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about your Indiegogo campaign, what it's about, and how people can support uh, support that effort, and then we'll uh, wind everything down here. Awesome, thank you. Um, the Indiegogo right now is for the Voluntarist origin story, so what we're trying to do is create the canon graphic novel. Uh, we want to create the story that you know, starts at the beginning, talks about how Jack Lloyd, you know, got his powers, his family relationships, um, and, you know, his development and leading to, uh, you know, taking on the government and teaming up with other characters. Um, so we spent a lot of time in the past few issues kind of creating templates for the future to give people a sense of where the story would go. And I think now, you know, it's time to really create that foundational piece um, that could be used as kind of the canon uh, backbone for the universe. Um, so the story's been written for a long time, and we're just kind of ready to go with it. And uh, we've been funding now for almost a month, and we still have a month left um, of our goal. Um, and there, if anyone wants to support the campaign, um, you can get you know the print copy of the comic, a signed copy. You can get stickers. You can get um, art prints. You can get past issues signed. Um, there's advertising opportunity. You can get an action figure. And I, I could even come to uh, a group if someone is looking to have a speaker come. If you want to uh, sponsor a group speaking event, I can come. Um, for that, whether it's like a liberty uh, meetup or hangout or, um, you know, a libertarian group of sorts. Um, so there's lots of ways to just get involved and, uh, and spread the message about it. And uh, if anybody listening to this can, uh, just grab the link on Indiegogo, share it to Facebook, share it to YouTube, Google+, Tumblr, whatever it is that you use. Because um, the more people who see this, the more it comes up um, in Indiegogo's feed and more people hear about the voluntarist name and, you know, get to research that and, and take a look at that. So there's also an awareness element, too, of getting people to hear about the message of liberty just through seeing the names, the characters, and the story. Yeah, Very cool. Great. From, a, from a personal standpoint, I just have a, just a quick question. You're, um, you're, you, you're the full, you're the one-man team doing all this? Just you? Are you um, drawing, I, writing, and coloring, and inking, and everything? No, no. It takes a huge team to do this. I just, I'm the writer of the story, so I wrote the origin story. I produce, you know, all the content for the website and things like that and the promotions, but I have to work with several artists in order to bring it to life. Um, like there's probably been over 20 artists who have worked on various elements over the years. Um, and right now with a team called Short Fuse Media that is doing the production line. And so there's typically uh, one person who does the primary pencils, then there's an anchor and colorist and a separate letterer. And I've done some of those things, you know, done some lettering and color adjustments and this and that. Um, but, you know, there's quite a few people who work on the comic. Right on. And then you publish it independently, right? Yeah, I use Indie Planet. Um, so it's a self-publishing uh, website where I can just upload the files and you can, you know, order it on demand, um, get a print copy, and they ship it right to you. Uh, whenever we do the campaign, though, you know, we have special perks like one-time things, signed copies, stuff like that. But even after the campaign is done, um, we post up there so that you can uh, order at any time. Very cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. And, and uh, we're featuring um, a bunch of your content on our site, actualanarchy.com. And we did a uh, posting about your Indiegogo campaign. So I'll put a link to that uh, below in the show notes page as well. And we wish you the best of luck in uh, getting that fully funded because this is a, a great, great project. Uh, I've been really impressed with uh, what you've told us so far. And, and, and thanks again for coming on. It's been really Really great time. Oh, no, awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, that has been the Actual Anarchy Podcast. 
sort of uh, riding the coattails of the Logan movie to talk about the character Wolverine for about 10 minutes and then talking about uh, Jack V. Lloyd of the Voluntarius for a fair amount with a little bit of gunplay uh, in as well. Uh, you can find out more about us at actualanarchy.com. Uh, we also run readrothbard.com where we have books, lectures, and articles by Marianne Rothbard. Uh, do you click on any of the Amazon links or any uh, other ways to support us? We've got a tip jar page and all that good stuff. So if you enjoy our podcast, uh, reach out to us, give us a comment, let us know if you uh, have any feedback because we would be more than happy to uh, take any questions, all comers. Is that right, Robert? That's right, Freedom Nerds. Um, it's important if you enjoy this content, if you believe in this content, what Jamie's doing, what we're doing, support us with your dollars. Vote with your dollars in a voluntarist way. Um, that's how you can guarantee that there will be more stuff like this out in the world if you support it. So get out there, support it, and we thank you for listening. And thanks for Jamie for coming on. It's been great. Oh, no, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm just happy to be promoting Liberty and another uh, medium out there. So I'm really glad there's a lot of people who are doing all kinds of media now with music, like, you know, Backwards and Eric July and other stuff. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that guy's a stud. All those guys doing great work. Oh, yeah. All right, well, thanks for tuning in, folks. And uh, we'll be having another episode uh, posting every Sunday afternoon for your Monday morning commute. So thanks again, actualanarchy.com and readrothbar.com, and I bid you adieu. Later. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do